Hello and welcome to So You Think You Can Rule Persia, the podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia from Diocles to Yazdegerd III. I'm Serial and my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Umberto and my pronouns are he, him. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 53, Vologasis the First. This one is The first promising. of many Vologasis. Please. I, okay, so hopefully that means that people like the name because he was great, you have told me that I can look forward to this episode. I am so excited <laughs> to get out of wherever the hell we are in right now. Yes, this is basically the inauguration of a new period of Parthian history. And we'll see why and if it's a good period. <laughs> I hope so. I also, disclaimer to anyone listening, if I sound a bit sick, it's because I am. It's just a cold, but, you know, fair. figured I'd let you know. And yeah, mild spoilers, we get all the way to a Vologasis the sixth at some point later on. Okay. Technically a seventh if you consider linguistic drift. But you know. Okay. We'll not consider that numbering. The next guy will just be Balash. <laughs> but mm. you know, we'll see. Interesting. Because yeah, the fact is that we've moved so far along that languages have changed. And also something that Trevor from History of Persia told me during our intelligent speech panel, which I thought was cool, is that apparently the Parthian language is the descendant of the Median language from back in the Median Empire. So apparently they've kind of been back for a while, although, you know, hundreds of years later. So that's neat. But yeah, so I think we can start with a recap of what happened in the last few kings, last couple kings, and then we can get started with Fulagasis himself. Let's go. Yes, if we remember last times, we had Vardanis and Gotarzis, the two brothers, fighting each other for control of the empire. The nobles were supporting one person first, then another person later. Gotarzis had his brother killed, then Gotarzis fought. With Meherdates, which was a Roman pretender off in the west, he won, but then eventually died of whatever reasons we don't really know. And that brought to last episode, where the nobles elected Vononis II, i.e. a random old guy, to become king. And uh, as Tacitus told us, Vononis had a short, inglorious, and perfunctory reign. Hmm. The end. Yeah. That's that left a he new He was person. there. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Next. And Vononis was also there. <laughs> the end. Uh. But the good thing is that, well, Vononis ruled for long enough that his son, Vologasis, managed to make himself elected king at last. So let's see how well that goes. So Vologasis I was the son of... Or some sources say brother of Vononis II, but based on his age, more likely that he was the son, because he doesn't die six months into his reign, so that's good. So he was probably the son of Vononis II and a Greek concubine. And we can presume he was born sometimes at the beginning of the century, which means that by the time he becomes king, he is in his early 50s. Which means that he's had time to establish himself, gain a lot of skill in ruling... And also, presumably during the reign of his father, 
he managed to take a co-ruler role mm. and managed to learn how to administer the empire and which nobles to talk to because, you know, he was previously relatively unknown and he gets elected king. So, you know, he yeah. was persuasive enough that people thought, yeah, he'd do a good job. Let's go for it. We're also told that he has two brothers, one called Pacorus and another called Tiridates. You'll want to remember them both, and Tiridates most importantly. Okay. I am intrigued. I shall. Do you have high hopes or low hopes for his brothers? Well, um... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like either I will get to know them because they will come back and it will be, like, for ruling, I mean. And so we'll, you know, get our, their own episode. Or I have to remember because of the drama, because they're going to be, like, a problem capital p <laughs> I, either way i'm happy about it so we can find out and yeah it also interestingly it looks like according to the wording in tacitus volagasius wasn't the eldest brother oh but he was just the one that was chosen to be king of kings interesting so we can see if anybody resents that yeah that that i mean why what do you mean everyone you know <laughs> we're all adults here we can be normal about these decisions and not lose our mind. Yeah. Nobody has to die. We can all just accept things. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. What are you talking about, really? And so in the year 51, at the death of Vanones, Volagasis is crowned king of kings. And the most surprising thing of all is that we have no reports of anybody challenging the succession. So he either managed to secure his succession during his father's brief reign, which seems reasonable. Why not? Or he was also just so respected and trusted as a man that nobody, not even the nobles, could think, here's an alternative ruler. Everybody thought, no, Volagasis, you're the one for the job. You do this, please. Although an alternative view, which I don't really trust that much, but... You know, I found it suggested is that mm -hmm. he was actually the one behind the murder of Gatarzes II and then took power in a coup. Well, I like, first of all, how is that relevant? Because he still, like, whether he killed him or not, he still made himself, like, be chosen successor. Yeah. So that doesn't discredit the fact that, like, you know, he was qualified enough or, like, charming enough or who knows why that he was voted as successor. So that doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, the man was old. Like, the sources also tell us that he was, you know, I don't, I don't think a murder was necessary. <laughs> yeah, I don't really trust this source very much. It feels like Volagasis had all the cards to just become king. And since nobody opposes him, you know, if it was a coup you'd feel like there was an alternative side of the family trying yeah, to screw yeah, him course. over. But if it was just like a regular succession and everybody trusted him, then it makes sense that things would be a lot cleaner. I mean, of course, we only have the sources that we have. And it would be, you know, if you did something shady like that, you probably would want to change the sources. Yeah, I mean, who knows? It might be a Darius situation where, but no, like, he killed always, everybody and just You know, that's king. always the case. We might be going off of, like, wrong information, you know. Especially if you don't have yeah, much to compare. Just, we just have so much information to go for. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so now you remember that Volagasis had two brothers. 
What do you think happens to those brothers as soon as Volagasis becomes king? I, I, well, um, I know he doesn't immediately kill them, because you told me <laughs> to remember. But does he try them? to kill them? Uh, well, I don't know. It depends if he's following the footsteps of this previous king. What was his name? who murdered his entire family, but then was very successful, but then was like, oh, I have no heirs because I murdered my entire f- family. Yeah, Artaxerxes yes. the third. That yes. Um, I don't know. I don't know what kind of king he's going to be. If he's going to be the, like, intelligent and merciful one, I would say he probably gives them, like, a small part of the empire they can rule over. If he's going to be the powerful, murderous kind, then he probably tries to immediately murder them, or at least banish them. Well, he goes for the intelligent and merciful route. I love this. I am already rooting for him. (laughs) Yes. Well, Gassis has seen that the Empire has been in one civil war or another since the end of Artabanus III's reign, and even then Artabanus III's reign was a blip of stability (laughs) after, you know, the chaos that started with Musa's succession. So, the Empire hasn't been doing great in the first half of the first century. It's been a lot of successions. And Volgasis thinks that, okay, he can't just entirely snub his brothers. He needs to make sure that they have positions. And he wants to make sure that they are allied and friends. So, he gives his brother Pacorus the kingdom of Media Atropatene, which was the kingdom of their father. And, you know, it's a nice, relatively important kingdom at the edge of the Empire. Nothing huge, but still, it's important enough that you'll feel relevant. But then he needs a position for his youngest brother, Tiridates. Now, Serial, can you imagine what kingdom Volagasis wants to give to his younger brother? Is it Armenia? (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Do we have it now to give? No, we don't. Okay. Part As of the always, issue. we're just like, oh yes, and this part of the land, instead of just letting it, we're just going to reclaim it again. It's none of our no. business, but it, we are going to make it our business once more. Yes. My brother needs a job, so I'm going to conquer our media I can't, I can't. I'm losing can my mind. It. I cannot. <laughs> like, wh- who made this yeah. game? Who made this simulation? <laughs> who decided that this is how it's going to work? It might just be Tigranes the Great's fault for just making Armenia a thing. Otherwise, it would have just been squished between the empires, but no. It's there. I can't. So, let's look at the situation in Armenia, because they have a succession crisis. Because the king of Iberia was the brother of the Armenian king that the Romans had put in power. Now, the king of Iberia sent his son, a man called Radamistus, to invade Armenia and take over. And there, the Iberians managed to bribe the Roman forces protecting the Armenian king, who was then murdered, and Radamistus became king at last. But the Roman forces weren't really coordinating with each other, and the bribes didn't go to all the correct people. So, some private rivalries saw several important Romans defect to the new king of Armenia, and letters from Rome, from the new emperor Nero, just said, Guys, stop, please, no, seriously, guys, come on. No, stop, and no armies. 
Well, the fact is that now Radamistus, the king of Armenia, hasn't signed any treaties with the Romans. The old king did. So he's technically illegitimate from the Roman point of view. Of course, because they always are like, oh, but this was with the previous guy. It's not like, you know, there's a succession and then the new guy, you know, inherits and controls all that the previous guy did. Because that wasn't in the contract. I hate the Romans. I hate (laughs) them. I just... I. I feel like they would be so annoying to take to court. Yes. To be fair, they would also make the laws so that they're in charge, which is what they did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they did invent, like... Is there any other law? Yeah, exactly. No. They invented Roman law, so, you know, and we still teach this. Yeah. So the thing is that back in the days of Augustus and Phraates IV... It was agreed that the Romans could appoint the Armenian king, but Radamistus is not a Roman-appointed king, so Volagasis is free to invade without the Romans being able to say anything. Because, well, the Romans didn't appoint him. It's not your man. You can't legally attack me. So let's go. So, great. Let's start. Volagasis begins his invasion with Armenia to place his brother Tiridates on the throne. He starts by taking several important cities without much resistance but is then eventually forced to stop because winter comes in. And, uh, yeah. well... You don't fight in winter. What are you, mad? Yeah. Also, Armenia is full of mountains and snows and tight mountain passes. You don't want to go through there in winter. That means that you will soon be disappearing into the snows. I mean, you're free to try. The war will be decided then. Yes. At the same time... The nobles in the vassal kingdom of Adiabene had grown tired of their king. Now, you remember that the king of Adiabene was the guy that saved Artabanus III's throne and also defied Vardanis regarding his invasion of Armenia. He's still around. He's still there. And, well, this king asks Volagasis for help to get his throne back. Now, this is an important kingdom to control because it has one of the key crossings of the Euphrates River, which would be very important in case the Romans ever get frisky. So, Volagasis demands that the vassal kingdom surrender the privileges it gained from Artabanus III. And this almost came to battle, but during the negotiations, Volagasis got news that nomads were invading in the east, so he had to withdraw without a real fight. In the end, the king of Adiabene died of old age, so it doesn't really matter, and the kingdom was returned to the fold and reabsorbed into the Parthian Empire proper. So that's nice. But while he was off in the east... There were problems in Armenia, because the Armenian nobles saw that Radamistus, their king, was failing at resisting an invasion, and so he was expelled by his own people in favor of Tiridates. And in his escape, his pregnant wife was apparently too slow, so she asked him to stab her rather than be captured. Oh, God. Which is a lot. Yeah. So he stabbed her and dropped her into a river. But she lived. God, like, this is just, it's horrible, like, dramatically horrible from her point of view of, like, I'm just holding you back, just let me go. It's then horrible of him to, like, agree. And then it's even more horrible because, like, she was hurt, like, wounded, and with baby, and she didn't die. 
No. But she was still thrown into a river, like... <sighs> Icy cold river in winter. Not fun. But the good news is that she is found by some shepherds. And these lovely shepherds think, Where should we bring the queen of Armenia? D Let's bring her to the new king of Armenia, Tiridates. Uh, Here, have the queen. Oh no. Oh no. And apparently Tiridates treated her very kindly oh, and nice. uh, tended to her wounds and married her before becoming formally king of Armenia with his claim strengthened by marriage now. Because, well, there we go. Okay, well, I, you know, um, it's not like... Like, I don't know how her marriage with the original king of Armenia was, if that was, like, at all her choice or not, because that's how this goes. Yeah. I guess, good thing that she was treated nicely, you know? Yeah, and, I guess Tiridates didn't stab her, so that's yeah. a good start. Yeah, yeah. Like, knowing how things went and how it could have ended up, which is with her dead one way or another... I guess that's better. And I'm glad that Tiridates, like, treated her nicely and didn't just, like... Because those shepherds, like... <laughs> bold move. <laughs> yes. But I guess maybe they didn't necessarily care for her well-being. They cared more about for their own... What they should do. Yeah. Presumably there was a reward. It's yeah, not mentioned, or like, but... Or, like, you, you would hand be over a, a traitor if you hide yeah. them, you know? Same. Or maybe they were good people who were like, well, the only people who can, like, ensure that you will be treated, like, medically and saved is the people who have power right now. So, I don't know. Yeah, but she makes it. She's queen of Armenia. Yeah. And the great news is that now in 54, Volagasis finally has Armenia. It's, it's basically in the empire. His brother's on the throne. Hooray. Good news. But the problem is that in that same year, there is a change in Roman emperor. Because Emperor Claudius, who had sort of ineffectually made some vague noises in the direction of Armenia saying, hey guys, no, stop it. <laughs> he is poisoned and replaced with his young stepson, Emperor Nero. Uh, this goes great, guys. In yes. case, you know, you're not familiar with the Roman Empire, this goes wonderfully. <laughs> yes. We love neckbeard Nero. Yeah. The quote-unquote good news is that this is still in Nero's early phase when he's controlled by people who are much smarter and better equipped than him to yeah, rule the like empire. Yeah, like actually qualified. Yeah, there's his mother, his teacher, Seneca... And the leader of the Praetorian Guard, who are all restraining his worst impulses right now. Okay, it's not terrible then. So what do these people all decide? They decide that it's time to declare the first official war between Rome and Parthia since Mark Antony. So they're fully escalating the war into... It's not just everybody fighting against the Armenians, pretending we're not really fighting each other. It's now we're just fighting each other and then we'll see who wins Armenia at last. And command of the Roman expedition is given to an experienced general from Germania called Gnaeus Corbulo, who began gathering and training about six legions from the west and carried them off towards Armenia. At the same time, it looks like there was a strange situation. We're not, the sources make it unclear because the Latin is filius vardanis, 
So we're unclear if it is Volagasi's son called Vardanes or a son of the previous king Vardanes. We don't know. Anyway, this man revolted against Volagasis, and Volagasis quickly put down the rebellion. Okay. To try and deal with these rebels and stop the war with Rome from escalating, Volagasis gave some hostages, although Tasta suggests it was some political rivals, to the Roman general Corbulo to have some peace for a while longer, to maintain the situation stable. It's not really clear what this rebellion that is happening in the Parthian Empire is like, we get some rebel coins from Seleucia, which suggest that maybe the Western nobles are supporting the usurper. And given their usual Roman sympathies, maybe the Romans encourage this rebellion. But yeah, we don't really know. It's kind of messy. But the situation is slightly unstable around Armenia. But at last, the Romans finally get ready. And they're, once they're prepared in winter of 57, Corbulo decides to march into Armenia which wasn't a great plan because it was winter. But as we've said before. Yes. Like, maybe don't do that. Yeah. It was so cold and so horrible that many of his men lost limbs to the cold and there was tons of desertion as everybody just decided to leave. And the only way Corbulo managed to stop these desertions was by threatening any deserter with execution and that slowed things a little bit but didn't fully stop them. So, by the time spring arrives, the Romans had been decimated by, you know, the, the elements, elements and their yeah. own execution. And the large Roman armies then harassed and raided by the Armenian forces of Tiridates and the Parthian forces of Volagasis, who now work together knowing the mountain passes, and they hunt down all these Romans. But the problem is that this eventually forced the Romans under Corbulo to change their strategy and split up their forces to pillage the country. So they're not going to look for a big final battle, they're just going to burn and pillage and make a desert and call a peace, as Romans are wont to do. And yeah, the problem is that this ended up being quite effective because Volagasis also had to deal with a rebellion in the east. There was a rebellion in Hyrcania, possibly a distant relative of the Arsacid family or a distant relative of Gitarzes II, whose children hadn't taken the throne, we're not sure. But Volagasis is forced to go all the way east and has to find a way to deal with the eastern side of the empire. This is also probably because there's now a Kushan Empire in the east, which was formed by the Uyghur Confederacy from a while ago, mm -hmm. and it's taken over Bactria. So we have only limited Chinese sources mentioning a conflict between Parthia and the Kushans over Afghanistan, but we don't really know what's going on exactly. We just know that Volagasi's forces had to go all the way east to try and fight these enemies. What we do know from the Romans is that eastern envoys go all the way to Rome in search of an alliance, and apparently they were sent home through the Red Sea to avoid crossing Parthian territory, which suggests that they had to cross the Kushan Empire to get back home, mm -hmm. which means that this new empire was causing problems for Parthia. So with this whole messy situation with Parthia having to deal with wars in the east and in the west, Armenia being iffy, led to some negotiations between Tiridates and the Romans. Because as king of Armenia, he asked the Romans, why are you invading me? You have no legal right to be here. We provided hostages. We can just discuss this without violence. How about we do that? And 
The Romans replied that Tiridates should surrender and submit to Nero's judgment, who would choose the rightful king of Armenia. To which Tiridates replied that if the Romans wanted violence, the Arsacids would be a worthy adversary. So, it's fighting time. Negotiations break down entirely. The Romans then attacked a series of smaller Armenian cities and executed all the men, enslaving all the women and children like the good guys they are. Of course, yeah, that's, you know, that's how you can tell that that's the good guys, always, of course. If the blood sports hadn't convinced you they were the good guys, this will convince you, certainly. Mm -hmm. But the Romans then moved on to the Armenian capital of Artaxata, where Tiridates didn't really have enough men to withstand a siege. So he first attempted to break the Roman formation and attack them with cavalry, but Corbulo kept his men organized, so Tiridates was forced to flee his capital, forced to free his kingdom, and seek refuge with Vologases. So now Armenia is mostly in uh, Roman hands, because the Romans enter the capital Artaxata, they spare the population this time, but burn the city to the ground and tore down its walls. They then proceeded to the second city of Armenia called Tigranocerta, which was founded mm-hmm. by Tigranes the Great. I, all I imagine, yeah. Yes. But the thing is that they are constantly attacked by several ambushes along the way because despite King Tiridates being away, they still prefer someone else to the Romans. And once the Romans arrived to Tigranocerta, the city refused to surrender to them. To try and discourage a lengthy resistance, the Roman general Corbulo executed an Armenian noble he had captured, and then made sure to catapult his head into the city, where it landed in the middle of a war council where the city council was discussing what to do. And the landing of a head in their midst made everybody quickly surrender and hand over the city to the Romans in the end. Poor Tiridates, now without his kingdom, then tried to take back Armenia, but there was no real success. So, with Armenia fully in Roman hands now, Nero gave some of the lands of the kingdom to his allies, and then appointed a new king of Armenia, and made Corbulo governor of Syria while leaving some legionaries to support the new Armenian king. So things aren't looking great right now, and the new Roman king of Armenia, a man called Tigranes, started to raid the Parthian vassal kingdom of Adiabene. But now finally, finally, it seems like the war in the east ended for Vologases. So he manages to pull his full attention on the west. Nice. Yes, this is probably for a couple reasons. Because, well, first of all, the war in the east was winding down so he could leave it to some subordinates. Yeah, first of all, the war was actually ending. Yes, that's good. And second, because the original war was sort of limited. It was Romans and Parthians fighting over Armenia. It wasn't a direct attack on Parthia. But now this Roman vassal, king of Armenia, is attacking Parthia directly. And this can't really stand. Finally, Tiridates, his brother, was annoyed that he'd lost his kingdom and hadn't really gained much support from his brother. And he was pointing out to the nobles that, hey... If he didn't have the kingdom of Armenia, he might have another kingdom. Who knows? So trying to avoid the nobles from overthrowing him, Volagasis decided, okay, no, I need to give my brother a kingdom. I'll get him Armenia. We can do this. So off we go. Volagasis called a council of nobles to reestablish Tiridates' right to the Armenian throne. He said that he was hoping 
for a diplomatic solution, he would do his duty by protecting his brother's claim. And then he finishes up the speech by giving Tiridates a diadem and saying, at last, you can rule. At last. He then assigns one of his underlings, one of his generals, to fight off Armenian forces and hold the fort in Armenia, while Volagasis himself will attack Syria with the main force since the Romans are using five legions to secure all the important crossings along the rivers. So things starts off ambivalently, because Volagasis' subordinate manages to besiege the Roman king of Armenia, Tigranes, in his capital. But this was a really long siege, because the city was well supplied, and the Parthian supplies start to be destroyed by locusts. So we're holding on, but it's not great. And at the same time, the Romans threatened an invasion of Mesopotamia, and offered to negotiate with Volagasis. So Volagasis thought, okay, things are getting risky, the invasion isn't going super well, so he sent some ambassadors to Rome to discuss possession of Armenia, but the Romans, of course, will only agree if they keep all of Armenia, and the deal goes nowhere. So at last, we start to prepare for battle. And with the Roman armies preparing, they get some bad omens. Nice, I like omens. Yes, because apparently the horse carrying the consular insignia for the army freaked out and ran off. So that's a bad sign. A sacrificial animal broke out of its pen and ran amok. And fire danced on the Roman javelins, apparently a sign of danger from Parthian arrows. We're not sure how, but still, it happened. So all of this, not great news for the Romans. But despite all these omens, they decide to strike first. They wanted to relieve the Armenian capital from the Parthian force besieging it, on the one hand, and they also wanted to cross into Mesopotamia and the south with Corbulo himself. So seeing that the main Roman invasion force was coming through Syria into Mesopotamia, Volagasis left Mesopotamia to the commanders of his forts and allowed Corbulo to take the first crossings on the Euphrates. But he did this to stop the Roman forces from joining up, because now we had one Roman force in the south and one in Armenia, and Volgasis rushed north to try and overwhelm the Roman force in Armenia to divide and conquer. Yeah. But the problem is that Corbulo is an intelligent man, so he no. realizes this, that oh, he's heck. about to be outflanked. We did not keep this into account. No, we did not expect a smart Roman. It happens. <laughs> So, Corbulo left a garrison on the Euphrates to hold the crossings and then rushed north to try and catch up to Volagasis' main army. But Volagasis was too quick for him. Volagasis managed to arrive in Armenia, surround the Roman army there, and after lengthy negotiations, he managed to have them entirely surrender and captured them all when Corbulo's army was only three days' march away. Well... So, at last... This northern Roman army has been defeated. Several legions have been disbanded. Fun. And at the surrender, Volagasis wasn't alone. He was there present with his brothers Tiridates and Pacorus oh. to show that this victory was not just for Parthia, but it was for the whole Arsacid dynasty. Nice. And the Arsacid dynasty owns Armenia. Let's do this. I love this, actually. Yeah? I love this collaboration between the family members being like yeah no we are together we do this together yeah, they're not fighting again they're not doing this civil war thing anymore we're yeah. now 
united. Amazing. And yeah, at the surrender, the terms of the deal were that the Romans would have to abandon all their forts and supplies in Armenia and withdraw their armies. And at the same time, in the meantime, in this new situation, Vologases would talk to Nero and they would negotiate over the kingship of Armenia. They would decide how do things work now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he will be a reasonable man. Yes. Also, apparently, Vologases asked the Roman general to build a bridge across a nearby river into Roman territory, apparently just because he could. <laughs> and then, as a power move, Vologases crossed the river on an elephant to show, look at me, I can cross your rivers. Ha ha. Yeah. Like, I don't care. I don't need your stupid bridges. Yeah, it's fine. It's me. Yeah, so... Looks like peace has been established. Let's see how long it lasts. Well, fun. Yeah, let's find out. Because on the way back, the Roman general who had surrendered to Vologases encountered Corbulo, who was just three days away. And he tries to convince Corbulo to break the treaty and fight back. But Corbulo thought, you know, if we break our treaties as soon as we make them, that's the easiest way to make every treaty worthless and nobody will ever trust us again. Which is So how about we point. don't? It is a good point. You know? Yeah. Also, it looks like Corbulo didn't respect this other general because he thought he was just a useless crony of Nero's, just sent over to keep an eye on him. Mm. So he thought, no, let's not do this. This sounds really dumb. Yeah. But then Volgasis manages to discuss with Corbulo and they strike another deal for peace. Corbulo will abandon his forts east of the Euphrates, so leave his conquests. And at the same time, the Parthian army will leave Armenia, and Armenia will be quote-unquote neutral, but under Vologasi's brother. Yeah. So, you know, so, well, neutral, but Parthian. Yes, the kind of neutral that we like. Yeah, neutral, <laughs> Which but Which is ours. still ours, yeah. So then ambassadors, Jessica was sent to Rome. Oh, Jessica. And proposed that Tiridates should become king of Armenia, but that he could receive the crown from a Roman representative in Syria... Just to make things look nice. How does that sound? But Nero is a diva, as we of all course. know. Yeah. And Nero says, no, 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 you need to come all the way to Rome and then I will grant you kingship. Because I am the Roman emperor, I will give you this. Mm, don't like this. Yeah. So he refuses the deal, but sends gifts back to Parthia saying, you know, if you improve your conditions, we can still make peace. It'll be fine. Yeah, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying no, but agree to my terms, I guess. Yeah. Also, it's likely that the Romans didn't want to make peace just after being defeated, because that looks bad. Yeah. It looks like they wanted to try a counterattack and call that a victory and say, okay, we managed to win these concessions from the Parthians. We weren't defeated and had to give up Armenia. Yeah. Which, like, I'm sorry, that's just not what happened, you guys. Skill issue. So Nero sends commands to Corbulo and gives him supreme command of the East, comparable with what Pompey had had back in the day. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of power. Yeah. And four to five legions to attack and destroy several Armenian forts. So the Romans march into Armenia. They take some of the border fortifications, but... There is no explosive breakthrough to make them take Armenia itself. Mm-hmm. And at this point, tired of all the fighting, 
Everybody just wants to have some peace and be done with this. Well, Agassi's proposed a meeting with Corbulo. Now, he proposes the meeting on the exact site where the previous Roman army had surrendered, a place called Rondia. Okay. Which is just a power move, because you just go to the place where your enemy was defeated and say, okay, now sign the peace here, please. It's good stuff. Well, we had to choose a place, so, you know. Yeah, we had to choose a random place. You were on the way. Might as well go for it. I promise you it was at random. Just it happened to be convenient. So there they finally agreed that Tiridates had not suffered a defeat and that he would get to keep Armenia. And if Nero really had to be a petulant baby about it, then fine, Tiridates could go all the way to Rome to receive his crown. How does that sound? So there was a large ceremony in he front of both... He still gets the crown, right? So, you know. Yeah, he still becomes king of Armenia. Yeah. Just, you know, Nero gets to make a show of it. If that's what's gonna take... So at last, finally, in a ceremony in front of the Parthian and Roman armies, Tiridates removes his crown, places it at the feet of a statue of Nero in late 63, and at last the war is over. Okay, for real? And the good news is that it has long-term effects. Ah. Because it finally decides that Armenia is going to be under an Arsacid ruler from now until Armenia stops existing. <gasps> Let's go. It is we, ours, we Ariel. It. We have Armenia. We made it. Guys, we made it. It only took how many centuries? Ah, <laughs> eh, two centuries. It'll be fine. Two hundred years. I mean, this nothing. doesn't solve anything, but still. Yeah, I mean, no. it solves some things. We'll see. But well, the good know. news is that Armenia will be under our sacred control for the next four hundred years. And mild spoilers: the Arsacid dynasty will live longer in Armenia than it did in Parthia, so they will outlive <laughs> the main dynasty. Of course. Of course. Yeah. No, that tracks. Because reasons. I, I, yes. Yeah. And, well, not only that, the great news is that now Volagasis has two permanent allies in the West. So he has his brother Pacorus in Mediatropatene, which connects Parthia to Armenia. And then he has his brother Tiridates ruling over Armenia. So these two kings owe him their throne, and they are a strong base of support against the Parthian nobility. Because if the family owns two extra kingdoms, it'll be easier for them to fight against the nobles and keep royal power strong. So now, basically, the threat of the constant civil wars that we've seen at the beginning of the century has been eliminated because Volagasis now has backup kingdoms he can use. And he has stabilized the empire at last. Incredible. So, the Armenian situation has been solved... But first, Tiridates needs to go to Rome. Let's see how that goes. Oh, God. Oh, God. Because Tiridates apparently took about three years to travel. Took him three years to get all the way to Rome, because first he went to his brothers to celebrate, because, you know, why not? Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, we better celebrate. Yes. He then visited his mother in Atropatene, because sounds good. He then decided to travel entirely at Roman expense with 3,000 Armenian horsemen slowly making his way to Rome, touring all the countryside and basically having a triumphal procession I mean, through Roman lands. They told us we had to go over there, so like, you know, yeah, so we would have been we happy might as well. to not... Let's go. Tiridates then meets Emperor Nero, and there's a bit of a kerfuffle at that point because... <laughs> kerfuffle. Kerfuffle, indeed. Because, 
Well, Tiridates, as a proud Parthian man, always carries a dagger on himself. And the Romans say, give up your dagger before meeting the emperor. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. fair enough. <laughs> but Tiridates refuses to give up his dagger, so he finds a solution. You know what? He's going to nail the dagger to his sheath as a guarantee of safety, but he'll still carry his dagger while meeting the Roman emperor. Yeah, I think it's a good compromise. And then finally... There were great gladiatorial games in Tiridates' honor, where apparently Tiridates was annoyed at having to sit in the crowd and not hunt like a king does. So he just took his bow and shot at the wild animals in the arena and killed two bulls with one arrow. How? Don't know. Fast arrow or thin bulls. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> How? The okay, yeah, sure. That happens, definitely. Yeah, so Tiridates, you know, makes a good show. It's not the Colosseum yet, but in the nice arena, he manages to just show that he is an Armenian king and he can kick butt with the best of them. Hmm. And then finally, at the end of the gladiatorial games, Tiridates was declared king of Armenia and crowned by Nero, who was wearing triumphal robes. For the triumph he didn't win. Yeah. But, you know. This is so weird to me. Because it's like, happy. you're making a whole thing about still having to concede to someone else that, like, they are the king of the place that you could not, you know. Yes. So, <laughs> like, how is conquer. this better, actually? It's just better optics, I guess. If you're a random peasant in Rome and you see the Roman emperor crowning a king, you think... Yeah, sure, I guess we won. That. He's king because we chose it. Sure. I don't... So, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it yeah. just... I don't know. It's basically theater for the Romans. Yeah. It's just for them to feel better about themselves really, while yeah. they did lose Armenia. <laughs> it's like, we, we can live in our made-up world. It's fine. We can be delusional about it. That's ridiculous. And then finally, Tiridates managed to triumphantly march back to his new kingdom and start a dynasty that would last 400 years, which, good stuff. We're also told by Cassius Dio that Nero invited Vologases himself to Rome for a meeting. And Vologases, he doesn't want to look like a suppliant king. He is the king of Parthia. He defeated Nero. Hmm. What are you doing? No, I'm not going to come. But Nero just constantly said, no, please, come on, come and visit me in Rome. It'll be fine. I'll host you. It'll be great. Trust me. And then in the end, Vologases was exasperated by these constant requests and wrote to Nero, it's far easier for you than for me to traverse such a great body of water. So if you will come to Asia, we can arrange that where we shall still be able to meet each other. So he's basically saying, I'm not coming to your empire. You're coming to my empire. Yeah. But then he's being like, oh, but you're just, you know, your naval capacity. You're just so much better. Like, it would just be easier yeah, for you. Yeah, he's being nice about it. Yeah, he's saying, well, it's easier for Clearly. you to cross the Mediterranean than for me. So come all the way to Syria, please. So Nero refused. So both of them really denied each other the propaganda victory. And yeah. everybody just said, fine, but we still have Armenia. Screw you. Also, just for closure, Nero became jealous and fearful of Corbulo, who had, you know, if he had been left more control, he probably would have done better in the war. Well, you know. Yeah. 
and Nero orders his execution, but hearing this, Corbolo killed himself first. Which is why we don't hear of Corbolo in the Year of the Four Emperors, because, well... Because he's not there. Gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tends to happen. Yes. So, peace at last. And Volagasis has managed to gain a brother on the coveted Armenian throne. And not only that, the throne will not be contested for the next 50 years. Wow. Which means that Volagasis has bought a generations-long peace for the people of his empire, which is great for everybody living there. Not so great for us because the sources will be decreasing, but hey, at least the people there are happy. But okay, so how does Volagasis now rule the empire? Because we get an interesting look at his religious policy in this period. Mm-hmm. Because following the example of Artabanus III, he starts to distance himself from the old Hellenistic period and embrace a more Iranian identity. Because for the first time, he mints coins that show a man, presumably the king, making offerings towards a Mazdian fire altar. No longer the Greek divinities are shown there, or just the archer. And he also adds Pahlavi writing to the coins, and the Greek fades away, which hints at the fact that Greek is no longer being used as an administrative language. The privilege of the Greek city-states in the empire has been decreasing enough in this century that now there's a fully Parthian administration which can better govern everything. Also, according to Zoroastrian tradition, Volagasis ordered the collection across the empire of the scattered written and oral traditions of the Avesta, which is basically the Zoroastrian holy book. So he is compiling this. Although we're not sure how historical this is because it would be formalized a few centuries later by the Sassanids. Uh-huh. So he is organizing things. We're then told that Nero began to mass forces for an eastern expedition. We're not sure if it was against the Parthians or maybe against the nomadic Alans that lived north of, uh, of the Caucasus. But in the end, Nero was overthrown and killed in the year 68. And the Romans were too busy fighting themselves to be of any real threat. That tracks, actually. At the same time, it looks like Volagasis did nothing to stop his Jewish vassal king from aiding the Jewish people in their revolt against the Romans, which, you know, helps tie the vassal closer to Parthia in an anti-Roman function, which is always nice. Later on, Volagasis then received a letter during the Roman Civil War. It was from a man called Vespasian. And Vespasian sent a letter to Volagasis saying, hey, please be neutral during the Civil War. I'm going to try to become emperor How does that sound? Right. We're like, hey, let's work together here. Yes. At that point, Volagasis remembered all those times the Romans tried to put one of their usurpers on the throne of Parthia. Mm Mm-hmm. And he thought, why don't we try to put a Roman usurper on the Roman throne? (laughs) Can we do that? Is that a thing we can do? I love that. Yes. What if we do the same? Yeah, if you do the same now that you guys are in a civil war. Yeah. It's not so fun when we do it, is it? Huh? So he writes back to Vespasian and says, No, 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 we're not going to be neutral. If you want, we can give you 40,000 cavalrymen to help you win the civil war. <laughs> not only are we not going to be neutral, we're going to help you. <laughs> yes. How does that sound? But unfortunately for us, the offer was politely refused by Vespasian. No. Because... Vitellius's main army was defeated, Vespasian was winning anyway by that point, so he didn't really need this, and he didn't want to look like, you know, a Parthian pretender. 
But also in the letter, Vespasian is very nice. He refuses by emphasizing his desire for peace with Parthia, basically confirming that he would maintain the peace treaty for Armenia and we're not going to fight over it again. We are going to remain stable. Everything is going to be as it was. You can also read this offer of help by Volagasis as a subtle threat because he is basically saying we can spare 40,000 soldiers just as a gift to you. Yeah. Which means that, you know, imagine what happens if we get angry. We have a lot more than these 40,000 to beat your butt with. But in any case, Vespasian won the civil war. Volagasis sent envoys to the Senate to ask that they officially honor the memory of Nero, likely to ensure that the treaty with Armenia is respected. And there is some snark in the letters they send each other because... There always is. Yeah, because Volagasis opened a letter to Vespasian as Arsakis, King of Kings, to Flavius Vespasian, greetings. While Vespasian replied to the letter as Emperor Flavius Vespasian to Arsakis, greeting. Yeah, of course. So you gotta. We've seen you this gotta. before, but this you is know, how it works. It's, yeah, it's good to call each other by dumb names. <laughs> but overall, it looks like the relationships were cordial, and Volagasis offered Titus, the son of Vespasian, a crown and congratulations on his victories over the Jewish rebels, and Titus accepted the gift. So. Things are going well. We're doing happily enough. So this all allowed Volagasi's internal peace, which he used to reduce the power of the recently rebellious Greek cities, build up a series of fortifications to avoid the nomads from invading the heart of the empire, and he fully annexed the vassal kingdom of Karakine to secure the Persian Gulf trade and avoid having to deal with vassals that you never know whose side they're going to be on. Of course, yeah. Yeah, it also looks like the kingdom of Elamis had sort of slipped away from central authority during the dark times. So Volgasis brings them back to the fold and imposes one of his cousins on the throne. At the same time, if we look at trade, the Silk Road has been going strong and increasing in importance, but also spreading out. Because due to the frequent civil wars in the Parthian Empire, there's a new Indian route which is being pursued to avoid the risks and costs of having to maybe cross a war zone. But Volagasis tries to ensure that this Indian trade route can, you know, have ports along in the Parthian Empire and make sure that everything is still going through us. And then he decided to found a series of new cities. He founded the city of either Volagasia or Volagasaserta, depending on the source, near Babylon, mm -hmm. to establish a new trading center to rival Seleucia without being as volatile. So again, sapping power away from them. And also changes in the course of the Tigris River meant that Seleucia was more and more inaccessible by river. So, you know, Volagasia has this better access to the river, which gives logistical reasons for it. And all of this, together with the increased political importance of the city of Tessaphon, sped up the decline of Seleucia in favor of these cities that had been founded by Parthians, actually. In the east, it looks like the Indo-Parthians, who ruled the Indus Valley, were brought back into the orbit of the Parthian Empire, presumably as vassals, because their iconography tends to copy the features that Volagasis coins have. So they change their writing from Greek to Pahlavi, and they have an overall model looking similar. So everything is going quite well. The empire is prospering, strong, and united. But things would become a little bit sticky in 72, hmm. because surprising absolutely everyone, the problem was not Armenia this time, 
but it was another vassal kingdom called Comagene. Oh, okay. Well, so interesting. That's Bit of a change. Yeah. Because this little kingdom was a small ruler at the west of the Euphrates River that controlled one of the best crossings over the Euphrates. Mm-hmm. And so it's great for anybody that wants to cross from Mesopotamia to Syria and vice versa. Yeah, that's usually the case. Like some yeah. strategical position geographically that will, you know. So the Roman governor of Syria, trying to avoid this alliance, trying to stop this crossing from happening, attacked the kingdom of Comagena by surprise, forcing the king to flee. The kingdom was then quickly occupied and was absorbed by the Romans into the empire combined by an increase in Roman legions in the area. In the end, Volagasis didn't really intervene because he thought, yes, it's not great, but they were Roman vassals since Mark Antony, and it wouldn't really be politically justifiable to start a whole new war with Rome over this tiny little river crossing. It'll be fine. Sorry. (laughs) I I apologize. My brain just went wild (laughs) on that one. And yeah, this annexation is also part of a broader Roman policy of absorbing the last client kingdoms it had in Anatolia Hmm. to make sure that it would be easier to control and also it stops them from having to deal with dynastic politics and having seen what happened to Armenia, it stops these kingdoms from getting an Arsacid prince and shifting into the Parthian fold. So the borders are consolidating now. This all coincided with an invasion of Alans from the north. Of Alans? Yes, Alans. No, not the Alans. Yes, because they came roughly from the Sea of Azov, and they allied themselves with the Iberians and crossed into Atropatene, where they defeated Volagasi's brother Pacorus and headed west into Armenia, defeating and almost capturing Tiridates before turning to Parthia directly. Mm. Apparently, somebody threw a net over Tiridates and tried to drag him away, but the king managed to... (laughs) What? Yes. It was an intense battle. They just caught him like a fish. Wow. But he managed to cut his way out with his sword and was saved. Like, I knew this was a thing in gladiatorial games, right? But Apparently, when you want to capture a king, it happens. So in the year 75, Volgasis wrote a letter to Vespasian saying, Hey, do you mind helping? These barbarians are marauding across our empire. And specifically requested that one of his sons lead the army and help him. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Domitian particularly wanted to go and was really raring to fight these barbarians. And yeah, it looks like this is less likely Volagasi's last attempt, but more probably he wanted to test the Romans' relationship and, if possible, find a way to influence one of the heirs of Vespasian. And, Uh you know, it's always nice to have a Roman pretender on hand. Vespasian sent neither and replied that he didn't want to interfere in an internal Parthian matter, and so he just fortified the Roman area. Officially against the Alans, but potentially in view of a Parthian conflict. Dang, these Alans. Yes. In the end, we don't really hear more about this situation, but we can assume the Volagasis dealt with it. It's just annoying we don't really know Mm. how. We then get one extra bit of information that is slightly unclear, but it looks like Trajan's dad, who was governor of Syria at the time, got triumphal honors for some victory against Parthia. But we don't really know of any fighting that happened. So it might just be that there was a successful negotiation on a border issue and you got a triumph for it. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's valid. Good for you. And then we get the next few years are quiet with Volagasi's ruling the empire, developing it, ensuring that 
it trades and prospers until he has to decide on the succession. Of course. In April of 78, we get coins from a new king, Pacorus II, minting his coins at Tessaphon. But we also get coins from Volgases at the same time. So presumably Volgases, wanting to avoid a succession crisis like has happened so often in recent years. Yeah, I, same, honestly. Yeah. He appoints his son as co-king so that, you know, in his last years, they'll be able to rule together and take power smoothly when he's gone. Not only that, it looks like Volagasis had another son called Artabanus that he settled into northern Mesopotamia, trying to follow the tradition he started with his own brothers to stabilize the succession by giving all the brothers minor kingdoms to rule. So having settled everything, having a clean air, trying to avoid any possible civil wars, Volagasis then disappears from history without any further news from him in July of 79, that's all. Presumably dying peacefully, just seamlessly transitioning the empire into the reign of his son. Wow. That is, like, really the most disappointing way to go when we just don't have anything, but also the most promising, because that means literally, like, everything went so smoothly that, like, there was nothing to add. Yeah, just nobody like, thought Here it you worth go. noting. You did the thing. And- yes. Congratulations, Volagasis. You have succeeded. I am, how would you say, skeptical <laughs> about a certain thing going on with Rome. <laughs> because everything has been going so well diplomatically. Yeah. But if I remember correctly... We did get a 50-year peace. I wonder what happens at the end of the 50 years. Yeah. If I remember correctly, something happens between the Parthians and the Romans. Um, yeah. And Vespasian That is in two episodes. <laughs> Interesting. I guess we shall yeah. see. But Vespasian seemed like a, such a cool dude. I mean, he was doing great, so I don't think we'd have anything against him, personally. Vespasian seems doing fine. He's alright. He's all cool. He's just become emperor, and now we're going to transition to Titus and Domitian, and it'll be fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's going to be cool, Sarah. Don't worry. Great, okay, well... Nothing yeah. bad is going to happen in around the 110s. No, 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 no. Who knows? So what are your thoughts about Volgasis? Like, what he you was... expected, more or less, sideways? He was really cool. I, honestly, not necessarily what I expected, because I don't really know what I expected. I guess something more, like, dramatic. But it's such a relief to have, like, a competent <laughs> guy who actually gets to do things. And, like, honestly, for the most part, I guess, makes the right decisions and, like, keeps things together and helps to, you know, smooth things over and makes everything a bit more pleasant for everybody. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, like, in the last 50 years, we've had only one king rule more than five years. Yeah, exactly. More than 10 years, actually. But, yeah, it's still been a lot. And yeah, now Volagasis manages to finally restabilize the empire, and we have that's what I mean. Like it's not that Rome. he suddenly, you know, changed the entire empire and conquered like another equivalent amount. No, it's just like oh, we've been doing terribly. Honestly, we've been on fire for yes. so many years. So let me just put the fire out. And reconstruct everything that got burned down and, like, help to 
you know, secure some things that were a bit iffy and could be a problem in the future. And yeah, okay, everything is now clean and spotless and perfect, and we can continue now. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm so happy. Very good stuff. Yeah. <sighs> so nice. Are you ready to rate him, Serial? Yes. Yes, I am. Nice. Our first category is final moments. How interesting was his death? Just disappearing into history. Uh, not, not at all, sadly. This is not no, his I, category. Yeah. The, we have no information whatsoever, but, you know, it is a positive sign. Not great for a score, but hey. Yeah, I think I'm going for a zero because we literally yeah, know nothing. Same, we don't really have anything. It's just... Yeah, so with a zero and a zero, we get a zero out of ten for final moments. Our next category is Battle Hardness. How good was he at war and fighting? Well, he um, did a lot of fighting. Yeah, he had amazing. so much fighting to do. So, well, what did he do? Okay, so, well, he invaded Armenia. Let's yes. start with that. He conquered Armenia once and gave it to his brother. Excellent start. We love he that. He then yeah. had to move away to fight a war in the east, which, given that we find that the Indo-Parthians are then on his side, presumably it went well. We have no detail about it except that it happened, but yeah. we then, can only assume that you know, he was victorious. No detail also means no terrible things. Yeah. So, yeah. He then went back to Armenia and went head to head with the Romans. He reconquered Armenia a second time and managed to make sure that it was properly under control. He managed to be so successful that the Romans accepted to just hand over Armenia in exchange for a symbolic gesture. Yeah, that is. Incredible. So that's pretty good. That's yeah. better than anyone else has done recently. He then had to fight a quick civil war with either a son of his or a cousin. Yeah, which he wins that. Happens. Goes there. It's good. So he succeeds there again. He then has to fight with the Allens. He manages to defeat them again. No detail, unfortunately, but he wins where his brothers failed. And uh, yeah, I think it's. Overall, a very good record. I don't think there's anything that's, you know, immediately incredibly impressive, but he defeats a fully equipped Roman army and manages to get them to back down. That's good. That is a good sign. Yeah, so he defeats the Romans, wins two civil wars, wins in the east, and defeats some barbarians invading from the north. Those are five things already. <laughs> And I think that the conquest of Armenia is very impressive. Yeah. The conquest of the East is also quite impressive. I feel like I'm... I don't feel like this is a, like a 9 or 10 territory, but definitely 7 or 8. What are your thoughts? I think it's pretty incredible, especially with how things have been going and how difficult it is. Because it's not like we haven't tried to do these things before. We no. just couldn't. <laughs> it's been difficult, um, yes. <laughs> so... I'll go for an 8. I'm very impressed. Like, it wouldn't be as impressive in, like, any other period, I guess. Like, it, d it really depends where you put it. But I think for right now, pretty incredible. Yeah, you know, I agree. I think you've convinced me because it's... Yeah, it's not just what he's doing. It's what he's doing with the starting point yes, he had. Like, exactly. It's not like Alexander the Great where he starts with the most efficient army yeah. the Greek world has ever seen, and he gets to use it. It's Fulagassis, who just starts up with, the empire has been on fire for 50 years, and I have to deal with it now. I have a chance oh, now. Oh, great, now we have the yep. empire. Talk about rising to the occasion. 
Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, so uh, with an 8 and an 8, he gets a 16 out of 20 for Battle Hardness, which is our highest score in, like, 8 episodes. Yeah, so, that good job. tracks. <laughs> tracks. Our next category is scheminess. How good was he at plots and manipulations? We don't really get much scheminess in him. We get some vague glimpses, but it's not too much. You could say the offer to support Vespasian as a Parthian pretender to the Roman throne is an interesting attempt, but it doesn't really go anywhere. And that, again, I don't know if you'd call that schemey or just regular diplomacy. And then otherwise, from his personal life, we can assume that he schemed to make himself be elected king when his father was a relatively unknown old guy. And otherwise, everything else he does is pretty straightforward. Just, you know, conquer the empire, make sure it's stable, and make sure it works. But there's not much subterfuge. I'm, I'm wondering if there's, like, if a one is worth anything or if it's just, uh, just there. What do you think? Is there anything that pops to mind? If he didn't, like, murder his father, which would also be, like, not that relevant. I don't... Yeah, I don't think there was much, you know. Yeah, it was just... did a fine job, but yeah. He did great with what he had, and he didn't really need to weasel his way in somehow, or... Um, yeah, he just I mean, did everything above the, the entire, board. like, exchange with Rome, right? Of, like, come over here, or we go over there. Yeah. But, like, that wasn't even, you know, double-faced or somehow, like, misleading. It was just, like... Let's see how we can find a compromise and not look bad and make them look yeah. as bad as possible. Yeah, I don't I don't think I'd qualify nah. him as a schemey person. He just does everything fine. I think I'll just go with a zero, really. You matching? Yep. Okay, so with a zero and a zero, he gets a zero out of 20 for scheminess. Our next category is shock factor. How shocking was this man? Uh, I mean, it's the main shocking thing is that he succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> Is that he the main shock is to, that he did great collapse yeah main shock is that not everything that we didn't well. believe in him or anything but like judging by how yeah. things have been yeah shock factor uh, again he doesn't really murder anybody he does the opposite he just gives his brothers nice cushy jobs so that they will you know rule their own kingdoms and they can be friends you know he does concede that Tiridates has to go to Rome to get his crown but who cares, really? You have Armenia for the next 400 years. That sounds good enough. So it's kind of... Um, yeah, again, shock factor. I don't think he did much. Did he do anything? I can't think of anything bad that he did. Not bad, but, you know, that would be shocking. Like, all he did was above board. All he did was in order. He didn't go for massive massacres of civilians. He just you know, generally improved things. So I think I'm also going for a zero. I don't know if you can think of anything else, but... Duh. Yeah, it's... Just, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, with the, I think we can go for a zero. So with a zero and a zero, he gets a zero out of 20 for shock factor. Our next category is his category. It's Aaron Shine. How good was he for the Empire in general and Iran in particular? Well, he did good things. So first of all, let's just look at it on a map. 
On a map, he conquered Armenia. Armenia's ours. Hooray. Or at least, it's our brothers, but still, you know what I mean. He then managed to get peace in the east. He managed to bring the Indo-Parthians into the fold. He managed to win two civil wars. He managed to stabilize the empire after decades of political instability. Now they're back, and unlike Artabanus, he wasn't dethroned and had to come back two times. Volagasius was always in charge, and any threat was dealt with. Hmm. So he's managed to get Roman recognition of Armenia. The Romans, we will be at peace for 50 years. We have good cordial relations with Vespasian, and everything is fine. And then economically, he is making sure that the trade routes are flowing through the empire. He is taking control over all of Mesopotamia so that trade will have an easier time flowing through there and he'll have better control over it. He ensures that his brothers have jobs. He keeps the succession stable during his own reign. And then for his sons, he has one of them made king while Volagasis himself is king and keeps, you know, everything in order. And then he gives kingdoms to his other sons so that they won't rebel ostensibly. Then Volagasis founds new cities. He founds Volagasia or Volagasaserta to uh, replace Seleucia and uh, make sure that, one, we're taking control away from the Greeks, and two, the city will prosper, so it's more Parthian, mm-hmm. it's stronger. And then he reestablishes an Iranian identity for the empire, ensuring that now there is local writing again, the Greeks no longer have all the power that they used to have, and... The empire is now strong and stable and seems that it will do so for at least another generation. Who knows? We'll find out in Pekorx's episode. So, yeah, I think this is really impressive. Again, he started from a low point for the empire and got it back to, you know, the greatest it has been since the old days before Rome started meddling. So I think I'm somewhere around a nine. My argument around why not a 10 is that he improves the empire, but there's nothing radically different. Like, it's much better, but he doesn't, like, rebuild it from the ground up, which is what I feel a 10 would be. But, yeah, I think it's, like, it's a high-quality 9 for me. Yeah. No, I agree. I wouldn't go for a 10, because there would have to be something extraordinary. Which, I mean, Mm -hmm. like... Don't get me wrong, this was pretty extraordinary, but, like, you know, it hasn't made me go, like, gasp in disbelief. I feel like a nine tracks. A nine, yeah. Yeah. So, with a nine and a nine, he gets an 18 out of 20 for Aaron Shine, which is our highest score in 15 episodes since Mithridates the Great. Hmm. So, good job, Volagasis. You're doing well. Our next category is Face of Faces. What do you think this man looked like? Well, I will need a minute, but I will... Yes. Okay, so Serial has finished their drawing. Let me pick it up and I'll describe it to you all. (laughs) Nice, I like it. Good, good strong vibes. So what we have is a very cool looking man. He has... The Parthian robe, it has a nice darker hem on a lighter color along the edges of it. It's closed in front. He has nice pants on. He is wearing a diadem and an extremely determined expression. He has a nice long beard and long hair, 
And he's clapping his hands together, clothes flowing with the motion, and saying, right, let's get to work. Yeah. So, that is very Lots good. Thank you, Serial. There's plenty to do, and yes, he did. So, yeah, thank you very much, Serial. If you want to look at this drawing, you can follow the notes of the episode in the description. Or you can go to our website and move to Serial's portrait gallery and have a look at what he looks like. Now let me show Serial what his coins look like, and they can tell us. Are they impressed? Are they not? What does it look like? It's another coin. This one on profile. It's a guy. Like, it's cute, but it's, uh, we've seen this before. It's the guy with the short-ish beard and the typical hairdo and the diadem and some necklaces, or maybe it's like the top of the robes or something. And that's mm. it. Yeah, it's just like a guy. His yep. face isn't even especially notable. How it's do you just... know it's him? Uh, it says so on the back of the okay. coin. Okay, <laughs> because otherwise I don't... <laughs> that's the only way you can tell, yeah. Yeah, no, just by looking at him, he could be any other king. I don't... Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed. He could be interesting, but it's just like... I'm impressed we have a coin, but I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. So, yeah. Not terribly impressed. What do you think? I'm between a one and a two, really. I'm going to go for a two because the coin is well preserved, but that's it. Like a two, two, one. I don't, I mean, one would be if it's like barely even recognizable. I guess a two because like we still have the yeah, name, right? Like and You it's can see coin. it and it's yeah. fine, but yeah. If you pick right. it up, you can be like, ah, this is this guy. Yeah, you could it potentially so. see his face. On the back. <laughs> so I think with... A two and a two, he gets a one out of five for face of faces. Our next category is lengthiness. How long do you think he reigned? Uh, I don't... A fair amount, right? In a bit, yeah. I'm going to go higher than I think. I'm going to say 30 years. 30 years is quite close. He reigned for 28 years. Let's so go! That's pretty good, yeah. I was like, between stuff. 20 and 30 has to be, so... Yeah. So he reigned from 51 to 79, giving him a total of 28 years divided by 10. That's 2.8 out of 5 for lengthiness. And that brings us to the final score, which is a grand total of 37.8 out of 100, which places him under Demetrius I and above Diocles. So in the high 30s club, but uh, nothing terribly terribly high. He didn't have too much scheminess going for him. But that doesn't mean that we know the answer of our next question, which is asking, is he restorative enough? Is he successful enough? Is he Armenian enough to be called a Shahan Shah, or is he just a Shahanna? Hmm. Hmm. See, I'm not, like, him as a person, I'm like, eh. I think his achievements were very impressive, yeah. but I don't know if I would tell people about him other than, oh, from this point onward, yeah, things, things are less improve. shitty. Yeah, the thing yeah. is that you don't really see, you know, reflected in his points, you don't really see much of him as a character. Like, you can see that he's a guy that does good things correctly, but I don't know how... Like, basically, I remember him because he's like, oh, yeah, this is when things improve. But I don't remember him because, oh, he did this really cool thing. Let me tell you about it. Yeah. But to be fair, playing his advocate, 
There was also a similar thing for Sinatruchis, and he sort of restored the Empire from a state of civil war, and he got it. And we didn't know much about him as a character, except that he was an old man that was very tired and had a cool hat. <laughs> yes. And also, like, Mithridates I, we don't really know too much about him. I mean, we know about him and Demetrius, so we know more. But, yeah, I think it, it's an ambiguous one. You don't know how it goes. What are you thinking? Do you think he deserves it just for getting the Empire back on track? And, you know, he's definitely not going to win at the end. But do you think he no. deserves at least that honorable <laughs> mention saying, yes, you're at least in the club with these other people? Or do you think that, nah, he doesn't have that spark. It's not worth it. I don't want to... I feel terrible saying this, but I, I doesn't, I'm not convinced. I think hmm. he can get an honorable mention, but I wouldn't give him Shahanshah. You wouldn't give him Shahanshah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I also feel bad because... He did so he well. He did amazing, but like... Like, he, he's one of our top Aaron Shine scorers. Yes. But... But I don't care for him otherwise. Yeah, like, it's just... Um, yeah, we don't get any As a cinematographical or, character, you know, yeah. that I want to, like, tell people about. I'm like, I... It, um, yeah, and that's mainly well. the fault of the sources. I kid. think that, you know, if we knew more, like, if we knew about an equivalent Roman emperor, he would get it. If yep. we had that amount of sources, but I don't feel like we have enough yeah. to properly justify giving him a shah and shah. So it's with great sorrow in our hearts that we say, I'm sorry, Volagasis, but you are a shah and nah. You can go off into the desert, tell your father, Vononis, that you tried your best. You really did. The empire works now. Everything is better, but that you're not charming enough. You're charming enough to be voted king, but not charming enough to be voted a Shahanshah. So that leads us to the end of our episode. Thank you for joining us. We hope you had a good time with it. As we are approaching quickly the event that Sarah has been alluding to, we'll see mm -hmm. if why that happens, yeah. what's been going on, who knows. But at the same time, you can see us next time with the episode on Pacorus II and see will he live up to his father? Will he surpass him? Who knows? In the meantime, if you want to support us, you can support us on Patreon, where for a small monthly payment, you'll be able to have access to a bunch of extra episodes. The last one was Alcibiades, Serial enjoyed that very much. There we have other episodes on Mithridates the Great of Pontus, Hanwudi of China, Themistocles, Tigranes the Great. So, lots of fun stuff to enjoy, and we're going to start voting soon on what the next miniseries is going to be, so if you want your voice to be heard, then follow us on Patreon. And uh, if instead you'd rather not support us monetarily, that's fine, but we also appreciate if you could give us a review on your podcast app of choice to let other people know that we exist and that you enjoy us, so more people can come on. In this year, we've had a great growth as a podcast, but we'd also love for more people to learn that we exist, so that'd be nice. Yeah. Spread the word. The good gospel. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I think that without any further ado, thank you for joining us for this episode, and we hope you have a great week. Goodbye. Bye.